gentlemen, welcome to America's Auto Enthusiast Program. This is Auto World. And now, here's your host, Bob Long. Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. We are live. That's right, live. Lots of radio shows that you hear across the band or on tape or pre-produced or best of on the weekends, but we are live and we are here to help you out at our toll-free line, which is 855-660-4261. Each and every week at this very same time, we are joined by Dan Watson, the CEO of the Lube Page. So that means if you've got a lubrication question, a synthetic oil question, an AMS oil question, or uh, anything on your mind, we would love to hear from you at our regular number, 855-660-4261. And Dan is, in my opinion, one of the most... Uh, one of the most incredible experts when it comes to synthetic oil and lubrication in general. And every week I learn a lot with him, and I know you guys do as well. If you prefer the email route, that's certainly a uh, an alternative as well. My email very easily is bob at autoworldradio.com. And uh, you can reach Dan at uh, danwatson at com. Well, why don't we get started? Let's get those calls rolling and let's get those emails pumping in here because we always have lots of fun every time this gentleman joins us here on the program. He has more than 25 years of experience in synthetic oils and lubrications, and he's a, uh, a lubrication specialist and one of the largest hams oil dealers in all of North America. And the gentleman's name is Dan Watson. Dan, welcome. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine on this fine evening, Bob. How about yourself? Doing fine. Thanks very much for asking. And again, we remind folks that we are live here, so don't be a stranger. You pick up that phone and call Mackenzie, who is uh, celebrating his 21st uh, birthday. So give him a call at 855-660-4261, 855-660-4261. Before we get into the questions, let's talk about substandard engine oils because there are so many products out there. And, you know, if you go to in, into convenience stores, racetracks or Wawa's, you see some pretty funky stuff and you don't know where it's coming from. That's absolutely correct, Bob, and part of the thing we try to do here the best we can in this one hour between you and I is to put out some information that would be useful to people because, really, we're car enthusiasts. You've been doing a show for years and years, and it's all about cars. And lubrication, I'm, almost everything that I do in lubrication is pointed towards what we call transportation lubrication, which is either cars, trucks, big cars, big trucks, you know, all this kind of stuff. So we want people to be advised on things and learn a little bit about things, but to take caution in certain areas. And right now, the status of lubrication products in these wonderful United States is pretty dismal because we have a lot of charlatan companies out there that are producing stuff that really shouldn't be sold anywhere. Uh, we have had some rulings in some particular type of advertising disputes between Mobile and Castroil that resulted in redefining some terms that most authors think, well, 
the term synthetic's pretty easy. It means something that's man-made. It's synthetic. That's what it is, right? Well, uh, in 1995, through a big, heavy dispute between Mobile and Castro, the American Petroleum Institute declared to the National Advertising uh, Agency that controls truth and advertising, they declared to them that, well, I guess synthetic is just a marketing term. When that was accepted, boy, it opened the door, and Mobile warned that this would take place over the years. And today, it's not only that we have faux pas synthetic, glorified petroleum being sold under a label as synthetic, but we've also got a lot of petroleum oil that is really just, I mean, in some states they find that it doesn't meet the current uh, classification, you know, the API SN rating for gasoline engine oils, it's, it's below par. And I sound this warning about, you know, every six or eight weeks when we get together to just try it. Maybe somebody new that hasn't heard the show before will hear this and it'll, they'll benefit from it. But is you just have to be careful about what you're buying. And I'm not picking on any oil company here. I don't have any reason to. I'm just telling you that out there there's a lot of stuff that's being sold that's very questionable about its quality. And sometimes all you have to do is look and see what it's sold for. Um, here in the town I'm in, Orlando, Florida, um, recently in my travels and what I do uh, in wholesaling oil for uh, repair centers, garages, and these kind of things, I was asked by one of my garage accounts if it made sense that they just got a 55-gallon drum of full synthetic engine oil, that's what they said it was, for less than half the price of the other competitors, such as Castro, uh, Valvoline, Amsoil, uh, you know, typical companies that you hear of that have synthetics, and they got this stuff for less than half that price. Now, I just did a little research and checked online to see what the the uh, big company wholesale prices for the synthetic base stocks and stuff that are being sold, because the people they bought this from was a blender, not one of the big companies, but a local company that has something blended for them. And, Bob, the problem is you can't even buy the constituents for what they were selling it for. You just can't. So it, it just, again, it's shocking to me that this stuff is going on. And I that's why I bring it up again is because I, I'm a consumer, too. I buy stuff for myself, right? Sure. And I tell our listeners out there is, I don't know whether you guys, I've been, I've been in this lubrication business for 27 years, and just in the past year, 18 months, I've been literally shocked by some of the stuff that I, I see going on. So what I tell you is to just be careful and uh, do your, uh, what we used to call years ago when I sold some insurance, do your due diligence, check on things and get all the information you can to have an idea whether you're getting what you're paying for because this stuff is kind of out of control and I, I blame it on the government. We we have a consumer protection agency in the state of Florida. My question is, where are you? Mm-hmm. Are you a ghost? Do you ever show up to test anything? Is anything ever checked on to see if it's what it says it is? Because that's what the consumer out here is depending upon a lot of times is that, hey, the government's supposed to be protecting us. They're supposed to certify and look at this stuff and make sure that we're not being hoodwinked on things, right? Sure. So it's it's a pretty poor situation, and I just want to make sure that our listeners understand that 
they're going to have to, in some sense, bear the responsibility and look into this stuff wherever you are. I'd say you're lucky if you live in Indiana or Missouri because in the past several years they've thrown more than one, two or three oil companies out of the state for selling fraudulent garbage oil. And it wasn't synthetic. It was just petroleum, but it was still didn't meet a single specification and didn't meet anything that was on the label. So it's out there, and you can be the victim of it. And so you're going to have to pay attention and protect yourself. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to name call. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, this oil company isn't doing that. And then I'm doing that. What I'm saying is it goes through different levels of companies than you would suspect. So be careful about it. But at number one, at least tell your oil change place what label you want on oil that's going in your car. Because they'll usually sometimes have a bulk oil and they'll have other oil that you can buy. I suggest you buy the one that is at least name brand that you can recognize. So true, Dan. We can't overemphasize this enough, folks. Be careful, because as Dan says, there are lots of companies out there that are doing you wrong and selling you not not correct uh, synthetic oil, not synthetic oil at all, not even regular conventional oil. We'll uh, talk more about this and take some questions after these messages. Broadcasting from the middle of Corvette Boulevard and Stingray Avenue, this is Auto World with your host, Bob Long. 855-660-4261. That is your way to get a hold of us, myself, Bob Long, or Dan Watson, the uh, CEO of thelooppage.com. And don't forget to check out the Loop page when you get a chance. Dan is the man behind all the wonderful information that you can find there. And over the years also has done a ton of YouTube videos that uh, you can check out as well. You can also email either one of us, Bob at AutoWorldRadio.com or Dan Watson at TheLubePage.com. Before the break, we were talking about substandard oils and how you, the consumer, have to be prepared and be aware because in many states, the different government organizations are not doing their job and they're not screening products to make sure they are what they are. And so people are getting ripped off and in many cases people are putting their vehicles in jeopardy if they're installing something that they think is the proper engine oil for their vehicle and instead they're installing some junk uh, it could end up being the end of the engine the engine could seize up on you you never know what could happen under extreme circumstances let's go to the questions let's go to Bob in Sarasota, Florida and Bob writes to us I never see any recommendations to change the rear end oil is this a fill for life product and a good question bob well you know this is one thing i would say to that is don't believe that there's any fill for life products i know people that what do you mean this remember carbon let me tell you something you find me one major oil company one lube producer that will stand behind telling you that you can put the transmission fluid or a gear lube in and it's good for the life of the vehicle, which could be 500,000 miles, okay? So it's just a crazy term, and they're considering the life of the vehicle when they say that to probably be 100,000 miles. That's what that would mean. So 
in any case, for the differential or the rear end or the manual transmission or the manual transaxle that you can have in a front-wheel drive, transaxle coming off of the automatic transmission in the front, okay, you got all these different things. Mm-hmm. And in all of these gears, uh, I would tell you that the very maximum that you should think that there's any gear loop in there would be for 100,000 miles. And people would say, well, yeah, but a lot of people, they run further than that and they get away with it. Well, yeah, they do get away with it, okay? And there's some that don't. Now comes the next part. You would have to probably have a sedative if I told you how much it would cost to replace the rear end in your pickup mm-hmm. truck, okay? Uh, or the... Uh, transaxle in your uh, front-wheel drive vehicle, okay? These things are just marvelous, machined gears, terrifically uh, high, high-quality bearings, all this kind of stuff. So you put all this together, and it comes in the price of your car because you buy the car. But you go into one of my uh, friends in the past had... Uh, heavy-duty pickup and, <coughs> excuse me, had a bearing go out in the rear end. But you know what that means, Bob. The, the bearing goes out. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. what happens to all those pieces of steel when the bearing goes out? They try to mix inside all those gears, right? Sure. Yeah, so it blows the whole thing out. You're not just going to replace a bearing. I mean, when, a, when a, a roller bearing comes out and gets lodged between two gears, and those are riding on close-fit or shafts, if you will, that go into other bearings, something has got to give. So something breaks. You probably break the teeth off the gears as they try to roll over this, this busted bearing piece that's got caught between the two of them. And so you go to have this thing fixed, and my friend had a, it was a 3500 type pickup, pretty big rear end in it, right? And uh, the replacement parts were $2,400. The parts. Wow. And then the guy said, "Oh, labor on this? You know, this is this is this is big time because it's really intricate. It's going to cost you about six hours of labor, which in that at that time was eighty dollars an hour, and I'd be a hundred dollars an hour. She's about three thousand dollars to repair the rear end in this truck. So you got to ask yourself, since that rear end held one gallon of gear loop, just how value is good gear loop? I mean, you could ignore the stuff and." The bearing will be what typically goes out. The gears will keep crunching away, but uh, once that gear loop gets bad enough, it won't lubricate those roller bearings very well. And when they start to get out of whack, they'll start trying to get flat on one side, then they're trying, they're not rolling anymore, and then pretty soon the races start to break apart, and it's just it cascades, it's gone. And so a lot of people are lucky. Not too much happens. They're going a long time with really bad gear loop, okay? But eventually it catches up, and it may be the second owner that it catches up on, or whatever it happens to be. If I were buying a used vehicle today, and it was had over 100,000 miles on it, yeah. the very first thing I would do is I would take it down and have all the transmission fluid changed out, all the gear lube changed out, and I'd change the engine oil. But it's mostly the transmission and the gears that I would be the most concerned with because I don't know that anybody's ever touched that because they tend to ignore it. And I'd be getting it at a stage where it needs to be done and should have been done before. But don't run these gear lubes out forever. 
in a lot of these vehicles, you're talking about two quarts of gear lube that's back there. And in that small pumpkin that we run a lot of power through when we drive these vehicles at high speed, 75 miles an hour on the interstate, that kind of stuff, and that little two quarts back there is just churning and churning and churning and getting hotter and hotter. And so what happens is the smaller the pumpkin, the more dangerous it is to have a cascading overheating problem in those gears. So my advice is if you is really if you're running standard gear lube to change it every fifty thousand miles, if you want to run a high quality synthetic like Amsoil Severe Gear, then that's gonna be a hundred thousand mile change in most cases, sometimes hundred and fifty thousand depends upon the service, but you can't ignore this stuff. Uh, somebody's going to pay for it. Hopefully, uh, most people say, hopefully it's not me. Well, make it not the next guy either. Go ahead and change the gear loop so that you take care of these things because proper gear loop in those gear sets, they'll go half a million, three quarters of a million, maybe a million miles without any problem if you just service them. They're really built well. So I think that's enough on gear loop. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, stuff happens. I get a uh, letter from uh, an email from a listener this week talking about uh, his problem with his vehicle. It was an, an older vehicle. It was a 2006 uh, Jaguar S-Type. And when he bought it, it had 111,000 miles on it. And the uh, dealership that he bought it from said, uh, don't worry about that. Check coolant light because it's just, uh, you know, it's just always on. I've never seen a Jag that didn't have it on. And so the guy took that, uh, that, <laughs> that quote to heart and kept on driving the vehicle. And one day the, uh, the engine seized on him because it had absolutely no coolant in it at all. Wow. So it is very much uh, important for you to take care of your investment as Dan says if you buy an older car with over 100,000 miles or a truck bring it in and get all those fluids changed we're going to go to uh, let's see a listener in New York after that and now back to the show with the highest octane Auto World and your host Bob Law 855-660-4261. That's our toll-free line. That's your helpline. That's your information line. A direct route to Dan Watson, the CEO of the com. If you have a question about lubrication in, in any type of vehicle or we can even talk about uh, marine items, uh, talk about snow blowers and lawnmowers and and uh, ski mobiles and anything else that you might own that requires lubrication, Dan can help you out. We got a question from Melissa in New York who writes, I drive a taxi and sometimes I idle a lot while waiting for pickups. I was told I have to use hours of runtime to do all my services instead of miles. Is this true? Good question. Well, it is because it's a poorly understood aspect, <clears throat> and it's something like this. When you're idling, your engine's running, but your car's not moving. So you're not recording any miles, but you're recording that engine's running. It's the same. In fact, <coughs> excuse me, idling is worse on lubrication than running at full you know, power because idling puts a lot of extra sort of partially burned exhaust 
um, into your oil, and the oil has to then neutralize a lot of those acids created from the byproducts of combustion of that partially burnt fuel that's coming down because you're idling. Idling is not an efficient time for the engine. Now, police cars are notorious for this, and taxi cabs might be right there with them. Because how many times have you come by where there's a fender bender or an accident going on, and there's two or three or four police cars parked there, the cars are idling, and they got their blue lights going and all that stuff going on. Well, they leave the car idling because those things take a lot of power, and you could drag your battery down pretty fast. So you leave the car idling. It's got a good alternator in it. It produces enough power. You can have all those lights going, radio, everything going, and it's producing the power. But it's just sitting there. It's not moving. And by the way, remember, your torque converter is still doing its thing in the transmission. You're just not moving. So the transmission is pumping oil and the engine is idling and a lot of times those cars will idle at a little bit of a high idle because they know they've got the air conditioner got all the stuff running so instead of idling at 600 or 700 rpm maybe they're doing around a thousand rpm it's called a high idle to produce more electrical power and to keep up with the air conditioning and everything that's going on what they tell you in all those manuals that come with those police cars is just you must perform what they call an idle time correction factor. Now that sounds really highfalutin. What it really means is you got to determine uh, how much of the time does your car idle compared to actually moving. And then they tell you to put that correction factor onto the odometer if you want to. Now the easiest way to do it is simply use the hour meter itself and plan your oil changes and services around the hours that are recorded on the engine rather than the miles. That's the easiest way to do it on these types of vehicles. So for Melissa's question, yeah, if you don't have an hour meter, you can get them for under $50 from any one of the major parts houses, and they're just a little electrical device that gets hooked up so that every time the ignition is on and the engine's running, it's logging time. When the engine is turned off, it stops logging time. So it's just a little counter, a little electronic device, and they're easy to buy and easy to install. But for any vehicle that does a considerable amount of idling, that's the correct way. Now, there are a couple of different rules of thumb, but for mixed city and uh, rural driving, most people use 40 miles per hour. It means that if you have 100 hours, you'd have 4,000 miles on the vehicle. And so if you want, with all the idling, you might only have 2,000 miles on it after you've gone 100 hours. So that would tell you that you have a pretty big idle correction factor that has to be done. But the easiest way is to begin to set your uh intermittent maintenance that you do based upon those hours rather than miles on the odometer. And most fleet supervisors involved with any kind of big fleet, they know this and they're already doing that. So for Melissa, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Get yourself a little hour meter and you're going to extend the life of your taxi because you're going to start doing the services on the engine at the time they're supposed to be rather than sometimes you may be going twice as long as you should be going, okay? So that's the correct way to go. Very good, Dan. 
855-660-4261. Got an email question out of New Hampshire from Henry. And Henry says that uh, I just brought up snowmobiles, and I did, Henry. And uh, he says he is purchasing his first snowmobile and wants to know a little bit about what he can expect lubrication-wise. Dan, I myself have never owned a snowmobile. How about yourself? Haven't owned one, but I'm familiar with their requirements because I have to be because I, you know, function on a nationwide basis. And of course, Amsoil, the company I deal with, is from a Superior, Wisconsin, right across the tip of Lake Superior from Duluth, Minnesota. So sometimes they're flirting with those international fall temperatures, which is cold, cold, cold. That's all I can say. And they get mad if they don't get a lot of snow because that's when you can get your your toys out, and have fun with them in the you know the snowpack and stuff. Okay, lubrication. It depends, and I don't know which type it is. And he's probably you know he sent the email or whatever. <coughs> I got a little cough, so excuse me on this, but it keeps coming up. The uh, if it's a two-stroke, uh, then you're going to want to use. Uh, a high quality two stroke engine oil because in some of these particular, uh, snow machines, what you have is they have a unique power control valve in the exhaust that actually keeps the two stroke engine from running away, okay? This thing slides back and forth to control how much, how easily it lets the exhaust out, therefore it prevents the engine from getting into a cascade and trying to run way up too many RPM. But those things, since they're in the exhaust side and it's very hot, they're prone to stick. They won't start moving after maybe 100 hours of operation. you got to go in and have somebody disassemble the power control valve, clean it, and put it back together because you just can't get it to move anymore. Now, Amazon makes a two-stroke engine oil called Interceptor that was made for this particular uh, action. And it was tested in a fleet of... 300 snowmobiles in a fleet in Yellowstone National Park uh, where in the winter they have authorized trails that they can lease these things out and people ride them on these trails. And so lots and lots and lots of use of these things. And it was specifically tested. And the formula tweaked and tweaked around until they got exactly what they wanted in this interceptor oil. And it is fantastic in these types of snowmobiles with power control valves. So I'm not sure whether the gentleman had a two-stroke or a four-stroke, but if you're using a two-stroke, then you're going to do yourself a favor to look for this interceptor oil for your two-stroke snowmobile. Now, if you got a four-stroke, which there's plenty of those, you know, high-performance four-stroke engines, now you really need to consider an oil that can deal with very cold weather because that's why you're out on the snowmobile in the arctic weather suit that you're in the snowmobile suits having a having a ball but it's very cold on that engine and you need oil that we would call it arctic rated oil and that's going to be a high performance synthetic engine oil amzo makes one for these these machines that has a minus uh, 60 degree pour point so you're going to be able to use it it's going to flow when you start up the engine as you're warming up and then when you get the engine up to temperature, what you're really concerned about in these types of engines is they are small engines that produce just buku amount of power, just like a small four-stroke outboard on a boat. 
And so what you mm-hmm. have to have is exceptional protection for high RPM, high performance, small engine. And you need to run specialized synthetic oil for that. Amsoil makes one for it, a ZRW40 for these guys. It's perfect, okay? But you want to stick with a high performance synthetic. Don't be, don't be tempted to go for cheap petroleum. Hey, it's Billy F. Gibbons from CZ Top, and you're listening right here to Auto World. Thank you very much for being here. Henry in New Hampshire sent us a note at bob at autoworldradio.com with a question for Dan to do with uh, snowmobiles and lubrication, and Dan was wrapping up his comments on recommendations for Dan. So Amsoil's got something specifically for him if he has a two-stroke or four-stroke. That's correct, Bob. And, And like I was telling Henry in that response was that remember on these new modern snowmobiles, they have performance in these engines that would have been relegated to just uh, racing machines 10 years ago. They're really high performance. And you do yourself a favor by treating them as a very high performance and getting them the best possible oils. Now, I'm not telling you that Amsoil makes the only ones. There's some other there. Just be careful that you make sure you're getting top quality oil. And when you're talking about that two-stroke, you really do need to make sure that you're you're dealing with those power control valve sticking because they will drive you crazy and that cost you a lot of money to clean them. So this oil was developed specifically to avoid that problem and you want to avoid it. So use the good high quality oil and don't get hit with sticking power control valves. In the four stroke side, like I said, you just need an oil that can handle the absolute uh, severe duty you're putting this little four-stroke engine through with all the power you're asking out of it to go up and down these slopes and move this snow machine. So just do it. Buy the better oil and, and stick with a high-quality synthetic engine oil. And the one that comes from Amazon is a 0W40 on purpose. 0W, you guys are in cold weather. You need that 0W to give you the best performance to start up. And you need that 40 to protect it when it's at full temperature running its tail off because it's going to be working real hard pushing all that stuff around. So, uh, you know, those are my best tips for you, Henry. Great question. Jack in Atlanta writes us with uh, an interesting question. Why are so many of the newer cars calling for 20-weight oils? Will I damage my car by using a 30-weight oil? And I'm not uh, surprised by Jack's question. There is, if you haven't been in the new vehicle marketplace for a while, there have been quite a few changes, and this is one of them. They have really monkeyed around a lot with with engine oils in recent times, haven't they, Dan? Boy, they have, and listen, uh, there's a couple things on this. Number one, they changed the way that you can do uh, your economy, your miles per gallon test, and what you can count. The, the government changed how you do that. One time they used to just put the cars on a, a rear wheel or a front wheel dyno and, and set it to a thing and let it run and go until you ran 20 gallons of gas and see how many miles you went. Okay, <clears throat> We can't do that anymore. What they do now is they have simulated environmental road testing. And this requires that you start your car up from dead cold conditions, okay, and then you you have to drive it in these real cold weather conditions, and then you have a certain amount of time you have to drive it in the desert heat conditions and all this stuff. So 
In order for a manufacturer to be able to put in their report of what the mileage is that they're going to claim on their test, if they use a 20-weight oil, which they do to get better fuel economy, then they have to, by law, stipulate in the owner's manual of that vehicle that you must use 20-weight oil. It's not that you must use 20-weight oil for the protection of your engine. It's that you must use 20-weight oil because we use 20-weight oil in your fleet economy test, and so we have to put it in the manual. Okay, so we want better fuel economy. There's two ways to get it on those tests. Believe it or not, one is synthetic transmission fluid because when you start up that car in cold weather and all that transmission oil is cold as it can be, the the experiments on that in the test show that it's going to take you 20 minutes to get the transmission to be showing any temperature. Well, in all that time, if it's if it's pretty thick oil, it's acting almost like what we call a water break in engineering. It's just dragging down the engine just to move the parts and to pump that cold oil, taking all kinds of power. Same thing in your engine. If you start up the engine and you have a <laughs> 0W20 or 5W20 in the engine, you're going to get good cold weather performance and you're not going to have the drag on the engine. And then once you get up to temperature, you'll get a little better fuel economy with 20 weight than you do 30 weight. Now, you notice I've said nothing about what's going to give you the best wear and protection and all that. I'm talking simply about how you're going to achieve better fuel economy on the required fuel economy testing. Okay. So we come back around to the question. Why are they using 20 weight oils? It's for better fuel economy and to rate better on these tests. And that's one of the reasons why you see a number of the manufacturers going to synthetic or semi-synthetic transmission fluid is because, again, they want to beat this this test and get better fuel economy. They don't want all that drag when they're starting up. Now, he says, well, I damaged my car by using 30-weight oil. And the answer is no, you won't damage your car. There is a chance, depending on circumstances, that you may void your warranty. Because that's what they would argue with you about. But are you asking me from a technical standpoint, a lubrication specialist? No, the 30-weight oil, uh, if you have the same winter rating, like a 0W30 replacing a 0W20, then you're going to get good cold weather performance. The 0W rating is for the winter rating. But on the 212-degree rating, you're at 30 instead of 20. Well, in most vehicles, that'll cause no problem whatsoever in the clearance of the bearings and all that. It just gives you some added protection. However, I don't know whether your car that you're talking about in this situation would have variable valve timing in it. As variable valve timing, the manufacturers get almost apoplectic about whether or not you're sticking with the 20-weight oil because they're all worried about the response time of the variable valve timing, which uses engine oil as a hydraulic means to actually move the actuator to change the valve timing. So they're all hung up about whether or not that thicker oil is going to be sluggish and not move that fast enough and cause you a runnability problem because it's not shifting the valve timing fast enough. So, see, there's lots of complications in this. So I generally recommend that you run a high-quality synthetic if you're going to run a 20-weight oil and stick with what the manufacturer says. If you push me and want me to give you my own personal opinion, I'd run it the Amsoil 0W30 engine oil because the 0W will give you all the speed you need with anything to do with variable valve timing, and the 30 weight has higher anti-wear characteristics in that oil than the 20 weight. 
So you get the best of both worlds. But that's my personal opinion, and I'm telling you that if you're sticking in your warranty period, you better stay with what the manufacturer says. Don't let them have any excuse to give you a problem with your warranty. But in doing so, use the highest quality 20-weight oil you can buy for protection because there's many mm-hmm. places where it may be substandard. You buy a weak 20-weight oil, it's not going to protect you in all areas, and you could end up with some unwanted advanced wear over time with a cheap, uh, cheap synthetic or a, or a petroleum 20-weight oil. you just got to be careful when you start moving down into that thin of an oil. You've got to use the best stuff that you can get your hands on. Excellent question and a great answer as usual. I've got an uh, email here from Michael in Fresno, California. And uh, Michael wants to know, where is AMS oil made? Is it just made in one facility or is it made in variable various facilities around the, the nation? No, right now AMS is made entirely in Superior, Wisconsin. And you might think that that would mean, well, they certainly can't make very much because it's just one place. But i got to tell you, they built a multimillion-dollar uh, state-of-the-art blending plant. And this thing can run so many thousands of you know bottles an hour, cord bottles going through and boxing. It's so automated. It was the state-of-the-art, the most advanced one in the country when they built it because it was the newest at the time. Nobody else had built anything quite like this. And the old man that was in charge then, uh, Al Amatuzio, he wanted the very best that money could buy to build this thing. And they got it. And it can produce so much uh, blended oil. It's just quite remarkable. So the... Um, this is live, folks. If you hear a ringing phone in the background, I'm in my office, so <laughs> you just have to live with it. Now, uh, it's manufactured there, but it's distributed across the country in regional and uh, you know warehouses where things ship from regional points, not just out of Superior. That's just the headquarters for where it's made. But that plant can produce just. We can't get them off the first shift, and we're selling as hard as we know how. They're not even having to run a second shift yet. So uh, it's a remarkable modern facility. And an interesting note to uh, to have when you're purchasing Hamzol products, and that's what you're going to do when you're going to do business with Dan Watson. Dan, why don't you give out that telephone number for you personally? It's 800-370-2986. And don't forget, Dan Watson at thelooppage.com. Dan, thank you for your time here tonight. It just blew. That will do it for this hour of the program. I'm Bob Long.